The camera or you? Both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any uh, last questions? No, I think okay. I'm good. Let me know. Okay, thanks, Joe. This way. <laughs> All right. All right. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan, a senior legal assistant here at SATC Law and one of your hosts of the podcast. And I'm so excited today to be joined by Amy Wilhelmy, who is a licensed therapist amongst a lot of other things. So yeah. uh, do you want me to say counselor? It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> They're the same thing. Okay. Um, I'll start over just to get that clean. Okay. Um, so, therapist is pro. Okay. Okay. Cool. So I was nothing. Not ready to start. Hi and welcome to another episode of the Bridging Chicago podcast. I'm Nathan, your host for today's episode. I'm a senior legal assistant here at SATC Law, and I'm so excited today to be joined by Amy Wilhelmy, a licensed therapist here in Chicago, and. Amy, I had a chance to look at your background and I'm excited because you do a lot. And so I know you're gonna have a lot to share, but uh, we always start with your Chicago story. So sure. why don't you share with us if you're from Chicago or if you came here from somewhere else? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I grew up um, kind of half in Schaumburg, Illinois. Okay. And then my mom moved us to DeKalb because she's oh, wow. a professor at Northern. Oh, okay. <laughs> so Chicago, yeah, kind of far, you know, far yeah. west. Um, grew up in cornfields of yeah. DeKalb, Illinois. But um, I have lived in the city a couple times. I um, went to city colleges for about a semester and a half. Okay. Um, I moved back to the city as an adult and I lived in Andersonville for a while. So, you know, I still consider myself the Chicagoan in some ways. Um, I moved away from graduate school and then I moved back to yeah. the Chicago area. So I'm also from the cornfields. I'm <laughs> down by Bloomington Normal. Okay. So I totally get where you're coming from there. I've yeah. actually never been to DeKalb, interestingly, but yeah. um, it's very much that Midwestern culture for and sure. the upbringing. Uh, for people who aren't familiar with that, can you share what it was like for you to have that Midwestern sort of mindset and what you learned about uh, how you treat other people here in the Midwest? Yeah, I well, I, I just told you that I did move away. So when I moved away, I moved to the Bay Area in California, oh. to San Francisco. Um, and so it's very noticeable when you do yeah. that. <laughs> so I really did kind of see the value in those those Midwestern roots yeah. as far as things like hospitality or kindness or just the way that we're kind of polite or speak to each other. Mm. Um, I think it's very apparent when you go other places. I mean, Californians are generally kind of transplants, so they're a mixture, they're, they're on the chill side. But if you go to the East Coast, I feel like the difference is very um, big, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like Midwesterners are just kind of generally like pretty kind and nice. And there's there's also these like hardworking kind of blue collar industrial roots, especially coming from like a farming community. Um, I feel like part of my drive and why I do all the things that I do 
is probably that kind of Midwestern value system for sure. Yeah. It's, uh, I feel a lot the same way. And it's one of those things I feel like you don't know what you didn't know because your whole world is here. And so yeah. it's like we're wrapped up in like when we were kids, we would ride our bikes, we would go to the pool, like, yeah. play with our friends. Like anything that happened outside of the world that we lived in, we just didn't know about. And so right. I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate about my upbringing was that like everything was about people and my mom's whole family lived in the same town. And so mm. it was like family and just getting to really enjoy uh, life as a kid, I think it just was so much fun. Oh, for sure. Like I have children myself and, um, you know, I, I kind of grew up in the 80s, early 90s, mm -hmm. and um, it was kind of the, the culture of like, okay, have fun with your friends, go rollerblading, be home by dark, yeah. you know, go to the pool by yourself, be home later. And I feel like that develops some sort of like independence and like life skills yeah. that um now doesn't happen as often because parents are just like shuffling children around and right. you know forming play dates for them where we kind of had more freedom yeah. to just kind of learn how to be in life yeah how to interact and, yeah yeah uh, you mentioned you went to the city colleges and i want to talk about that for a minute because i think education as a resource is really important. And a lot of people feel like you have to go to four-year university after you graduate high school. Yeah. And I think there used to be a stigma, like if you didn't go to a college, it meant you weren't smart enough or you weren't good enough or you weren't rich enough or whatever. But yeah. realistically, uh, city colleges, but community colleges, trade schools in general are great options for people. And can, so can you share your experience there and, and why you chose to go to a city college? Sure. So I actually started out at Northern Illinois University because okay. my mom was a professor there and she was like, hey, we get a huge tuition discount, nudge, nudge, you should <laughs> go here. Um, so I did that for a semester or no, it was it was one year, but I felt like lost as a yeah. student because, for example, it's a it was a big student population and I would have lecture halls at 8 a.m. with 300 people mm. in it and my name on a Scantron, and it just didn't feel personalized enough for my learning style. Like yeah. I, I would like to interact with a teacher. I'd like to ask a question. I'd like to be able to raise my hand. And so I was like, this isn't working. I'm not sure I can graduate from a school like this. Yeah. And so I spent um, two semesters at Harold Washington um, just kind of figuring that out. And what I, what I noticed was that that smaller class size was much better for my learning style. I felt like the adult student population was much better for my learning style. You know, I think growing up in the college town, um, I kind of got all that partying out of my system when yeah. I was actually like in high school. Yeah. And then so when I got to that four-year college, I was like, I need to like focus now and like be a good student. and. That was hard for me in that big college atmosphere where city colleges with the adult learning population, you know, everybody is focused because mm -hmm. they're mostly paying for it by themselves. They, um, the teachers, I feel like are engaged and interesting and multicultural and have doctorate degrees. And, you know, the students are there because they have one mission. Like they, they want to learn, they want to further their education. They want to get a degree. So it was a, it was a much, um, 
much better fit for me. Yeah. I then did transfer to another four-year school after that, but it was small. And so what I learned from City Colleges is that that small learning environment um, and that adult learning population just just works. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you bring up where at that time you're just learning a lot about yourself. Yeah. And so you can do that in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. But it's being in tune with who you are and your experience and what you're getting from it and what is good about it and what is not as positive about it. And right. I think um, being brave enough to, to sort of lean into that and then to have the emotional and mental health and uh, intelligence to say, OK, you know, based on what I'm learning about who I am, what's the next step? Because for me, I think that's that's generally the hardest part is. Uh, what do you do with the information that you've taken in? And I think having the, the intelligence to do that is, is really impressive. And I think kind of scary for a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I guess then technically my undergraduate education were, were three stops, you know, Northern yeah. and then city colleges. And then I transferred to this small women's college actually in Milwaukee called Alverno. No one's ever heard of it. <laughs> And so everyone's like, wait, you're going to a women's college and no one's ever heard of this. Why are you doing that? But yeah. they they had my degree program. Okay. So I had learned enough about myself probably through like that, ex- those two other experiences that now I have a degree program in mind that's the best fit for me. And I'm just going to go pursue that. And that educational experience ended up being amazing. Yeah. And, you know, again, friends and family were like, women's college (laughs) tiny women's college no you know so yeah but you have to you have to do what's right for you yeah absolutely and uh, i think that's really respectable that you you did that and i think when i hear other people that do that i'm like wow that's really impressive that you can do that because it's not always the popular thing no it's not yeah yeah i mean my friends that i had met at northern were very confused they were like but we like partying with you (laughs) and doing stuff and i was like but I have to focus, like I'm paying for this, you know? Yeah, so. absolutely. Uh, I know that athletics is important to you now, and yeah. I know that it's very much a part of your life and your work. Um, so is that something that, were you always a fan of sports and a fan of athletes? That, were you always an athlete yeah. or is that something that came later? That's an interesting question. No, I was not always an athlete. Um, I did dance and then cheerleading growing up and then I kind of got sidetracked with that Um, in high school I figured out that I can actually make art I didn't know that I was an artist until like Uh my sophomore or junior year of high school and then I started taking art classes and realized that it was kind of this natural talent yeah and so I stopped the cheerleading and then I didn't really do anything athletic again until my third daughter was born and then I was like okay I'm just feeling overwhelmed with motherhood and life and I got to do something for my own stress relief Mm -hmm. so then I started on this track of kind kind of trying all the group fitness entities you know I did um core power yoga then I transferred to Orange Theory, then I did F45, and, and I knew that like moving my body and releasing that energy was something that was good for my mental health. Yeah. And so that's kind of what put me on that track of where I am now, which is um, competitive bodybuilding. I do bikini division bodybuilding. Wow. So, yeah. I, I want to get back to that, but I, I want to take a little tangent for a second because 
when you talked about after you had your third daughter and you made this choice of like, I need to do something to relieve the stress in my life. I think one of the hardest things for moms is from an outside perspective, yeah. obviously is <laughs> like, it, it can feel selfish to step away from your family or raising your children and to do something for you or to do something that doesn't seem to benefit the, the kids or the family as much as mm. it does. Um, but in, in this particular situation, of course, it, it was a benefit, not just to you, but to everyone for you to be able to do this. But did you feel any sort of like, did you feel guilty? Did you feel stress about stepping away did, or, or did you feel okay with that? And how did your family like come around you and say like, yeah, you need your time. You need to not be a mom for this hour that you're at yoga or whatever. Um, how was that for you? thinking about that and then actually like going out and doing it did, how did you feel when you first started doing something for yourself yeah um I think the answer is absolutely feel guilty um where I started actually I had a friend in the neighborhood that was teaching bar classes which mm. is kind of like ballet if you're familiar yeah um in her basement and then she had a ba a babysitter that she hired so I could actually bring the little ones oh. go to class and so that was kind of how I was able to enter into that world. Yeah. And then similarly, the first, um, it was like a yoga bar studio, uh, also had childcare. And so my first experiences were with studios that had childcare, which is amazing for yeah. moms. Cause then you don't feel as guilty. I think that there is a guilt about the financial piece of all of it though, mm. if I were to be honest, okay. because these like, you know, elite studios are not cheap. Right. So you're like, okay, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm taking some of our family's finances and putting it at this thing. But I mean, in my opinion, uh, you know, it's so worth it. And I always say something like, it's kind of like being on the airplane and sitting in that exit aisle. Like you need to put on your own mask first. Yeah. Yeah. And if you are doing that and you're doing that consistently, then like you said, you are helping everyone around you. Yeah. Like happier mom like my kids would be like oh you're a yoga mom today and i was like yes like, <laughs> you know but they they know and now yeah. they know they totally get it like now like i go to the gym without them and i'm like high five and they're like thank goodness she's going you yeah, know yeah that's so, so so good it's great analogy i think it's so it's good information for people to hear because i think that's really important and just like everything else it's an investment you know, yeah. Anytime you spend money, you're investing in something and you just have to decide if that investment is, is a good one. And I think in this case, obviously it is. Well, I mean, if you think about all the things that people invest in that are not healthy or not, yeah. not getting them towards their goals, you know, like going out to eat all the time or going out to drink all the time or whatever, like we all know that that's, that's not necessarily, I mean, that's a financial burden and it's not making you healthier. Yeah. Yeah. In this time, uh, mental health and, and caring for your mental health is a little more prevalent. Uh, people understand a little more why it's so important, but it hasn't always been like that. And the investment hasn't always been there and the resources haven't always been there. Um, do you remember when you started to really investigate mental health and, and understand its importance and how it played a, a role in your life? Absolutely. I, um, there are some pivotal moments. So most therapists that are licensed kind of do their time, which means like 
we have to have worked in some sort of like nonprofit or like difficult mental health situations um, in order to get training, right? So I was working in a residential facility for um, children and families in San Francisco. It was considered a level 14 residential facility, which basically means the step right before these children would have gone to juvenile hall. Mm. So very, very difficult population, mostly foster kids, um, high prevalence of trauma. Mm-hmm. And what I found in that setting was that they weren't necessarily getting the therapies that um, we know work for really bad trauma. Mm-hmm. It was mostly kind of just like a holding facility because we didn't really know what else to do with them, right? Yeah. And so that's when I started to kind of like dig into like what works, what doesn't work, how I would want to do things differently. And I really started thinking of a more holistic model that included what we're talking about, which is like a more like lifestyle overhaul and then, you know, the proper um, treatments for trauma woven in. Okay. And I mean, that's some pretty intense stuff to work with. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) How did that, how did you care for your mental health during that time? Yeah. um, Well, I lived in San Francisco, so that was great. You know, I, I was able to get out into nature. I really love you know, the redwood trees and I love, love the ocean. And so um, time spent away. Actually, San Francisco is kind of funny because it's always kind of overcast, yeah. right? And so some days when the sun kind of pops through, everyone's <laughs> like, okay, we're done. And then they just go to the beach, right? Yeah. So like I would spend a lot of time just like at the ocean, grabbing a coffee and sitting by the ocean, walking around, trying to enjoy all the beautiful natural surroundings and go to yoga. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Um, so we mentioned you're an athlete, uh, yeah. competitive bodybuilder, which mm-hmm. is amazing. I wish I could say that, but clearly <laughs> yeah. I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Um, what What is the feeling you get when you when you're competing? Like, mm. uh, I I know so I play volleyball, and so I kind of yeah. You know, when when you're in competition, it's almost like being a different person for me. It's like right. you take on a different persona. Um, but for you, what is that like? What do you like? How do you step into that space? And, and how is that different than if you're just, you know, at home with your family or, or even here right now? Yeah, I think um, besides the stage, we'll talk about that in a second. Mm-hmm. But what it's really taught me is um, this level of dedication and organization and planning that it takes to be able to execute that. Mm. Because I mean, the stage day is fun, but it's kind of just the show of all the things that you've worked so hard for for so long. So to me, the biggest value is the daily, like I'm gonna hit all my nutrition correctly. I'm going to do my training. I'm gonna do my cardio. I'm gonna check in with my trainer. I'm going to stay on the plan. Right. Because okay. bodybuilding is, is kind of a science. I mean, it works if you follow the plan and then it really doesn't work if you don't follow the plan. Okay. So I, I think like just learning that um, that consistency um, is such a mindset game changer because yeah. then you're just like, OK, this is what I do. And it's become obviously a lifestyle for me, otherwise I wouldn't keep doing it, right. you know? But I think the benefits of all of that are like mentally are just kind of this this huge 
you know, mental benefit. Um, and then the stage is fun. The stage is kind of just like, okay, here's the show of all my work. And, you know, we get gland and tanned yeah. <laughs> and walk up there and, um, you know, kind of uh, are able to present that package that we've worked so hard for. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because it's such a uh, an image com- competition. It, it's such an image-focused yeah. um, arena. And so, you know, there, especially I think young girls growing up, so much about their image they're being told about how good they are based on their image and sure. so um and not that boys aren't i think we all are at some points in different ways but um but being in an industry that seems so image focused mm-hmm. how do you stay healthy knowing that like part of what you're doing is actually competing based on that yeah I think what what is amazing about this industry that maybe you don't just like see yeah. is that um, the camaraderie is amazing. Mm. Like the I'm on a team, okay. so this team has hundreds of athletes on it. We're all together. We're all cheering each other on, and so it's kind of the opposite, actually, what they teach women. Unfortunately, we're kind of socialized to be competitive with each other in all things, and I feel like the team again, it's it's kind of the opposite of that. We're like, you go girl. Like I'm on a group text for this weekend and people are like, is anyone going to the store? Can you grab me some bad whites? You know, could somebody help me with my tan? Can, you know, how do I do this? This is my first time. I need my suit fixed or whatever. And so there's just this community that I wasn't expecting. And then also as far as that image, you know, being judged on your appearance, it's like, yes, but like, also culturally like muscular women are is not really a thing right. you know we're kind of taught the opposite we're kind of taught like don't lift because you might get too big eat a bunch of salad do a lot of cardio and so the bodybuilding community is is different it's mm-hmm. like actually teaching women like no you need to eat a lot of food mm-hmm. first of all and lifting is not going to make you a giant it's okay you know and it's just so empowering to be in a body that you have built. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I think that um, it's really good to be able to see many different body types yeah. in your everyday life uh, on TV. I think one of the things, you know, growing up when I watch TV, it's like you don't see a lot. I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me. I didn't see a lot yeah. of people that sounded like me. I didn't see a lot of people that thought the same things as me. And so getting to see that more for me has been really amazing. And I think there are girls out there that see what you do and, and are like, I really want to do that. I was really interested in that. And I mm. thought, you know, oh, all the girls are doing gymnastics or like you were saying when you were growing up, it's dance, gymnastics, cheerleading, all these things that it's like, those are, uh, very typical of, of girls at that age, but there's also so many other things that they can do. So many other things. Yeah. I mean, it's been nothing but an empowering experience for me. And there's like athletes that I meet that just have such an amazing story too. You know, we have a lot of people that are athletes because they're recovering from an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Bodybuilding teaches you to eat food, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Um, that they're recovering from a substance abuse, uh, you know, thing. And there's 
there's very, there's like zero room to abuse substances yeah. because your body can't handle bodybuilding and substances, right? Yeah. So to kind of replace that with, with something that's healthier. Um, so there's just all these amazing um, stories of empowerment. Yeah. Um, speaking of these stories, I want to talk about uh, some athletes that we learn have these mental health, I don't want to say mental health issues, but, but share more about their mental health and, and about what being in competition does to them. Mm-hmm. Um, we, most people probably know Simone Biles yeah. when she was competing in the last Olympics, didn't compete in all of the, the um, I don't know what they're called, the, gymnast, the events that she was scheduled to because she needed to step away. Right. Um, Naomi Osaka, who has been scrutinized, I think, mm-hmm. maybe not more, but as much as anyone else in the sports industry. And I mean, it just, the, the scrutiny that she's come under has been huge and she's had to step away from some stuff. Um, going back to Michael Phelps when he was swimming right. and what he was feeling. I mean, can you help us understand a little more the mentality of these athletes and what maybe brought them to the point to where it's like, I cannot do this anymore because the toll that it's taking is so huge. I think what people don't see for some reason with elite athletes is that they are human. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Right? Like we're like, okay, go and do the thing. And if they're not doing whatever it is they're trained to do, we're like, oh, that's you know, what are you doing? But what happens when there's things going on in your own personal life? You can't just ignore or cut out, you know, one quadrant of your life and just say like, that's not happening. Right. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what's going on with these athletes personally. Right. But I would imagine, um, it's, it's kind of personal stress over time that's built up that they just, haven't dealt with um, on a regular basis because again if we're talking about training and sleep and nutrition and physical therapy and recovery and you know maybe trying to have a little bit of a social life if they're not doing the wellness piece which is maybe seeking mental health you know mental health therapy or um, seeing other kind of holistic wellness providers, if they just kind of like let that go by the wayside, they're like, Oh, I don't have time for therapy this week, you know, or whatever. Like, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Right. I mean, they're put under so much extreme pressure to just perform. Um, I imagine that, that at, at one point or another, your body just kind of shuts down Yeah. and it's really kind of their physical body. I think, um, you know, you see this with tumblers. Like if we're talking about Simone Biles, like they, it's not like they can't tumble anymore. It's, it's because there's a mental block. Yeah. So, yeah. And you look at Olympians and a lot of them are under a certain age. Um, a lot of them are very young and I don't think it's just that their bodies can't do that anymore after a certain age, but it's just, there's so much, I mean, you think about the, you know, 30th, the, the person that comes in 30th place in an Olympic event is that much better than any regular oh, person. Oh, right. They're just like so, a superhuman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like, and they, and maybe they come in last in their event and, and yet like they would school anyone else. Right. And 
I feel like there's also this like fear that happens with elite athletes about like the next step. Like yeah. what what happens if I don't do this thing? Yeah. Like what do I do with my life? You know? And unfortunately in our culture that's happening younger and younger. Yeah. You know, I work with a physical therapist and she's like, I have these kids in my office all the time that have torn ACLs or other pretty severe injuries, you know, Achilles stuff. And their parents just keep being like, okay, when can they get back on the field? When can they do the thing? Mm. And then she's like, sometimes I ask the children like, Hey, do you even like playing soccer? And they're like, eh, like my mom thinks I'm going to get a college scholarship. Hi, Nathan here again. I just wanted to make sure that we told you about Amy's book that's out right now, Make Mental Gains. This is a short form book that will soon be followed by a longer version of the lessons and stories that Amy's learned along the way. This is a really interesting book. I really like the way that it was laid out. I like how um, you learn something from her life trajectory. Uh, Amy shares how we're all on a growth trajectory, and I think that that's really important to remember. This book is a quick read, but it's so helpful, and I think that you would find a lot of value in that. It is currently on Amazon. Again, that's Make Mental Gains by Amy Wilhelmi on Amazon. And you can be looking for the longer version of this book coming out this fall, uh, and that will also be available on Amazon. Or, of course, you can visit her website to find all the ways to um, connect with Amy and to purchase her current book. So we hope that you'll look into that. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode with Amy and all the lessons that she's learned along the way. Thanks for listening to this episode of Bridging Chicago as produced by the SATC Solutions Center. Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guest. You are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of SATC Solutions Center, SATC Law, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the hosts and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.